Today I'm joined by Dan Rubin from Cleet Street. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. The Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au slash hub. Gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Dan Rubin from Cleet Street. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me. No, this is going to be fun. There's plenty of areas I want to hit on. Uh, we'll see how we go timing-wise. But as always, background. What? Where did you start out in the world and what led you or, or was it always on the path to get involved in the sports, the betting space and, and analytics? Uh, you know, you know, Jake, that's, that's a good question. Um, my... My background is, I mean, first and foremost, I'm a huge sports fan. So growing up, I was, I was that kid playing with, with baseball cards and basketball cards with my, with my brothers and my dad. And it was always just a passion of mine and um, never really got into sports betting, you know, as a teenager besides, uh, you know, some fantasy football and, and March Madness pools. Um, but I, I would say, you know, really my sports analytics beginning came uh, in my undergraduate days at UC San Diego. I was a management science major with an emphasis in econometrics, and I wrote my, my honors econometrics thesis on predicting how college basketball players would translate to the NBA. And, you know, at that point, just using, you know, mostly kind of simple regression type stuff is really my first introduction to to that type of, um, you know, those type of techniques. And I had a really, really great time doing it. Um, after that, though, I, I kind of set it aside. It was, I graduated in 2011, um, got a job in finance. I was working for, for a small uh, valuation consulting firm in San Diego, working on their derivatives uh, valuation practice. So a lot of complex, like embedded derivatives, um, and complex vesting terms for options and earnouts, and you know, putting a price on those things. So I, I, you know, my my background's in finance. It was a passion. You know, sports were a passion. It was just one of those things that um, over the last couple of years, I've started to put more of an emphasis on my on my sports um, analytics stuff than than my finance. Do a lot of these things come together? You already talked about the finance side, but even you know, the paper you were talking about predicting you know, college basketball players in the NBA, a lot of the things you've done over the years, have you found that they've come together well for what you're doing and focusing on more now? Or is it more that you pick up bits and pieces and uh, eventually, you know, you get to where you need to get to knowing a bunch of stuff, but there's only some parts of it that are really useful? Um, you kind of pick up bits and pieces. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always learning. Uh, and, you know, the models that, you know, I got to say like the models that I've built, 10 years ago, five years ago, um, when you look back now, they're, they're pretty bad compared to where we are today. <laughs> and um, not to say that we're, we're, 
you know, we can't improve today. We've got, I'm consistently updating and, and trying new things, but yeah, you got to continually evolve and, and learn. And, um, you know, I, I'm a huge lifelong learner and I, I went from the finance space um, and I left, I left that full time in, in beginning of 2018 to go back to school. So I went to business school and um, I started doing more and more sports analytics stuff. So I was kind of, a, um, I emphasized in analytics. I worked in uh, with this, I worked in the sports analytics uh, group at Columbia and it's, I continue to learn and, and my, you know, everything just kind of got better from there. What do you think the the mindset is towards analytics, let's say in the US, because, you know, you and I are probably looking at this type of stuff all the time and maybe we're too in the weeds to have a good answer, but I'm always interested in the temperature on whether it's something that we overvalue or we overstate that everyone understands that analytics are probably better ways of evaluating things than, than the gut. Or do you still think we've got a long way to go when it comes to that? And in your experiences, especially, you see that we're not even close to getting towards the tip of the sword. Um, that's a great question. I would say that analytics have played a huge role. You know, if we want to talk in sports and kind of performance analytics, obviously they've come really far, and they still have a you know a lot further to go. There's a ton more data than ever before with all kinds of player tracking stuff available. And, you know, and techniques are more robust than ever. You know, when I was, when I was, uh, you know, an undergrad 10 years ago, we didn't, you know, we weren't talking about data science. We weren't talking about um, machine learning. We weren't talking about neural networks and stuff like that. And all that stuff has come really far. I think the one thing to, um, you know, my, my, my word of warning here, though, is that analytics are you know are, are are limited you know you can only model what you can observe and um i just i think you know at some at some point people get overconfident in their analytics so and, and it's not because the you know stuff can't be proven through analytics it's because um we might only observe a fraction of of what's really going on and we come up with projections um based on those observations in reality, you know, we're, we're only looking through the light in a certain lens. So I think there's some, you know, there's obviously, oh, we've come far and there's ways to go, but we've got to be cognizant of the limitations um, for a particular model when it comes to these predictive analytics. So within that line of thinking, then, I think that it would be nice for people to say, you know what, that is true. I'm going to go and learn about the psychology of of gambling and gambling games and maybe apply that to what I'm doing as well as modeling really well and also maybe try and figure out if I can how to get better at the intuitive side of understanding sports or players or managers or coaches or whatever it might be in reality though you've obviously got a background in finance you know the higher education stuff and building this stuff in the real world how easy is it or how much time can you afford to spend on some of those other areas because you are aware of what your limitations are when it comes to the modeling you know, it's 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 interesting because and I don't want to take too far of a tangent here, but um, the reality is, is 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 people are humans and humans have all kinds of biases and they manifest themselves in different ways. And um, and when it comes to sports betting, we could quantify and measure these biases biases um, fairly well. So 
I recently, and I, I think we were going to talk about this at some point, so might as well bring it up now. I recently uh, worked with uh, Professor Mark Brody on a analytical project for a sports analytics course at Columbia. And we wrote um, a project on how there, how the bias biases of betting overs and betting on your home team manifest themselves in win totals. So before a season starts, and, and this is probably for someone who's who's done a lot of sports betting, um, you're probably well aware of this, but many people who haven't may not be. Um, when you're looking at win totals markets, sports books know that they're going to get more action on the over than the under. And when you look at re by region, you're going to get more action on the over for teams in that region. And as a result, they'll shade their lines uh, across the board. So, you know, we'll, we'll call it call it win inflation or, or whatever you want. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's 256 games in a in a NFL season. But if you look at the sum of all the win totals offered by sports books, it's often way above 256, maybe 200, 260, uh, you know, 262, who knows, it, it varies by book. But th the reason that it's, it's like that is because sports books expect more action on the over, so they're gonna shade their lines that way. And that's not something that I had to prove through rigorous analytics, um, it's just unnecessary. You can measure just by simply observing it and, and really observing human behavior as well. Um, that these biases even exist. So um, I guess that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question that, you know, yeah, you're not going to just prove this out by analytics. You, you do something much simpler, but just be observant and cognizant of the various biases that people, that people have. So on the topic of education, just more broadly and generally, before we hone in a little bit more on your time at Columbia, how much value add do you think higher education has provided you, especially versus the you know the alternative of of building and failing and learning through through actually doing? Do you think higher education is is paramount to that entire process, or do you think these days, especially with what's possible and what's possible for free in many respects, um, it, it's losing I guess its power in that discussion? You know, it's 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 there's a ton of free resources out there and it depends what kind of learning learner you are. If you're that self-starter, that's going to, um, you know, be able to teach yourself anything with a couple online courses. You know, I don't know that it's, it's necessary to get the same kind of analytical background and, and education that I have, um, by going to, you know, formal education, you could replace it with, with a lot these days. Um, I think where it does come in handy and where it's, you know, not irreplaceable, but um, where the real value add is through the relationships and the network effects of these higher education institutions. I mean, I've, I've always been a big believer from undergrad through grad school that the biggest undervalued resource that uh, you have as a student are the professors. You know, the professors are often incredibly bright, um, incredibly well-connected, and incredibly respected. And these are just the type of folks that, you know, they're in education because they genuinely like educating and helping students. And they're so, they're such a great resource um, that you might, you just might not be able to replace that. 
that aspect of it um, by teaching yourself. But as far as the technical stuff, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you could you could do pretty well just by with free or close to free resources online. So on the topic of professors, let's talk about Mark Brody for a moment. Many will know he is the the godfather of golf analytics, let's say, and obviously strokes gained and, and many things that he's brought to the table over the years. Were you able to dabble into, and I don't know if you want to go into specifics, but were you able to dabble in some of the, the more betting-focused stuff? Were you looking at analytics generally when you were working you know, with and alongside him? Or, or take us through your experience being able to get access to the caliber of person and, and obviously with his, his track record in the space. Yeah, so with Mark, I, I, t- I, I took Mark's class, sports analytics. He's, he teaches, teaches sports analytics and a couple others at Columbia. And I took his course summer of 2018. Um, base, it was, I mean, it was within weeks of past getting repealed. So the timing was, was, was pretty remarkable. Um, his course was about 80-90% just pure sports analytics with about 10%, maybe 20% um, sports betting. So it was mostly performance analytics, um, everything from individual performance to team performance, um, you name it, across many sports. Um, after After taking the course, I... You know, I started to develop a relationship with uh, with Mark, and he asked me to be his TA in the fall uh, fall eighteen for a sports analytics course, and I I was thrilled that he asked me. So I obviously did it. At that point, we started to be able to, you know, work outside of class. You know, not ju- I wasn't just a, a, a student anymore. I was someone that. Um, I, I felt like he was well, he kind of opened up to help me out with some of my own modeling stuff, some ideas, and just have just to be honest, being a sounding board for some of the ideas that you have. I mean, you might have a, think you have a great idea, and it's it's just awesome to have someone that could poke holes in it for you. Um, so our relationship kind of grew after that. Um, I helped with him. I helped him this summer. Uh, with with some new materials for his with his course and helped um, he kind of brought me in to you know help the students on occasion this summer so you know the relationship's kind of grown and he's he's just a great great person great analyst but you know even a better person so I you know fortunate that I, I've you know met and, and grown to know Mark how many similar types of people do you lean on? Is it is it a number? Is it double digits? Is it just a handful? Is it one or two when it comes to, I guess, growing your own acumen in the modeling space, whether it comes to sports betting or generally in analytics? Is it a, a wide swath of people that you can rely on and lean on? Or is this a very small, small world where there are only a handful of folks that are going to be able to provide and add value for you? I think there's a lot of folks out there um, I don't have um, a huge network in the sports analytics space, uh, to be completely honest. I've, I've got, you know, I think it's, um, I could count the number on one hand or maybe two hands. Um, there's a lot of great people out there and there's a lot of people providing, you know, great content. And I think people are generally open to helping out. I haven't been in the space long enough to really forge that many relationships. Um, so, I would say my network in the sports analytics space is is far smaller than probably some other guests you've had on here. So let's talk about the modeling then. Do you have any 
guiding principles when it comes to modeling these sports? Let's just say baseball, for example. What are some of the things that you're able to share that you value as you approach the modeling with an obvious focus towards betting uh, the outcomes on these? So, and not, not to sound cliche, but the, and you probably get this a lot, but the, the number one thing you have to think about is um, separating performance from outcome. And, you know, baseball is a, is a, is a great example of, you know, if you're a starting pitcher and you go four and a third innings and you leave, you know, the base is loaded when you leave the game. If, if, if those Randers get stranded, your, your guy comes in, you know, your relief pitcher comes in after you and strands those runners, you don't get charged any runs, any earned runs. Um, but if the guy, but if the reliever, you know, lets those guys score through any various ways, you're going to get charged earned runs. So earned runs are a terrible metric because it doesn't, you could have a, the same pitcher, depending on what the guy following him does, uh, depends whether or not you're charged earned runs or not. So that's a, that's a terrible metric. Um, so getting more granular than that, you want to, you know, maybe say, well, how many, how many hits, how many bases, um, you know, what else, you know, what happened in the game and, and beyond that, you want to go even, even more granular if you could to say, well, how hard did they hit the ball against him? You know, what was the launching? What was the exit velocity? You know, maybe that allows you to control for factors outside of the player's control, such as the wind or the, the outfield dimensions. So, um, it's really about getting as, as, as granular as you can get um, when assessing performance. And I love baseball um, because it's a great sport to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I love basketball as well, but I don't, I don't do much in predictive analytics for basketball because it's, um, it, it's frankly harder to separate performance from outcome. There's a hundred and I don't know how many, 110 possessions in a bass in an NBA game these days. So, you know, if you're looking at some sort of points per possession metric, um, the team with higher points per possession is going to, is going to generally win the game. Um, so it's, it's, it's harder to separate. So I, you know, tried to focus my efforts in where it seems to me at least that there's a, there's a big gap between underlying performance and, and outcome. Um, that's that's where I like to spend my time usually. How much of your approach to analytics is about the granularity then, or is there? Do you need to have as well some form of zoom out function to go with it, so that you're not too in the weeds all the time? Yeah, you have. You obviously need to zoom out. I I like to say, I like to say that I um, there are people who do way more complex modeling than I do. I try to keep things simple um, intentionally. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of black box models um, just because it makes it you know, harder for me to diagnose when something's going going wrong. Um, and it's easier for me to assess uh, model biases with this with a simpler model. So, you know, I think and I think that latter point, the, the model biases is, is is really important. You know, it's it's great to have a to have a, a model that's you know, incredibly predictive and incredibly accurate. Um, but if it exhibits, you know, certain biases, whether that be at the tail end of a distribution or in certain scenarios, um, that's going to cause you problems. And it's, it's, 
you know, at least in my opinion, it's it's really helpful to be able to kind of take a step back and say, um, all right, where where does this model exhibit biases? Where um, can it be improved? And you sometimes if you're too deep in the weeds, you just can't see it. So it it I you do have to you know, take your head out of the sand once in a while and, and check on that kind of stuff. How far ahead of Jake at home on the couch talking about ARA are you trying to get, or how much more accurate are you trying to get when you, you talk about getting more granular? Or how far advanced do you need to be to make what you're doing you know, much more usable than just me at home sitting on the couch, if you know what I'm trying to say? Um, you need to get down to the um, player-level data, um, to the, play, the event data, um, uh, kind of forget it, forget about runs, uh, to be honest. Um, you got to get a little bit more granular than that. So there's a bit of work to do, um, to get there. And, and like I said, I, I think there's, there are people out there with more complex and even more precise models than I have. I, I, I definitely believe that, but, um, you know, a model can get you so far, but, there's the other side of the coin to betting and, and to betting profitably that comes down to just getting the best price and, um, you know, understanding how to, how to bet. Um, so, you know, the fundamental, you know, fundamentally, um, the fundamental analysis and, and, and predictive analytics is really only a half the coin when it comes to betting profitably. Do you, does, do you find sports get more boring for you? when you're applying a lot of this stuff? I mean, I've found it to be the case sometimes when, you know, I'll watch, especially NFL or college football, and I'll see something and I'll I'll go back to an analytical uh, metric or measure for something and, and then discard it, let's say, or or not apply as much value on it. Um, do you find yourself similarly, either, either as a fan or as a better, or do you think that, you know, it's a better way to watch games, it's a better way to absorb the sporting contests that are happening? Um, I may be in the minority, but I enjoy the additional analytics around sports. And, you know, when I watch a game, I am, I'm always thinking in terms of, you know, hey, that was a great play, but um, this was a lucky play. He hit the ball hard, but it went straight to the third baseman that, you know, no fault of the batter. So I'm, I'm kind of in my mind already allocating various kind of merits across different players as I watch the game. So it doesn't deter, deter, um, it does, it's not a deterrent for me to, to kind of think about, you know, analytics and sports when I watch, um, again, I may be in the minority there because, um, I could talk to a bunch of people and they'd probably disagree and, and you know they just want to sit back and have a beer and watch the game um which i do as well don't get me wrong but um it i i, I think the you know the analytics behind sports is fascinating would you prefer not knowing anything about baseball in order to simply make your models better or get closer to perfection or do you think the intimate knowledge of baseball is an added advantage is an added factor and even though there might be some things that you can't unlearn or untangle in your mind that that might be negative overall it's it's clearly a positive it's a, it's a net positive you know it's yeah it's it's a net positive i don't have a, a ton to say there other than you know as you watch a game you 
you observe and you start to learn things. You learn about tendencies of players. You learn about, um, you know, just, you know, bad, you know, base running decisions and stuff like that that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on if you didn't understand the game. Um, you know, you could, you could start to understand the magnitude of mistakes by players or bad plays that you wouldn't have a firm understanding with, uh, understanding of if you didn't understand if you didn't know the sport well so i think it's a net positive of course there's things that you're going to have biases and it's just you know you got to be aware of them uh, um but it's i uh, you should I, I don't i don't really try to analyze something that i don't at least have a basic understanding of tell me a little bit about the betting side where did you start out let's say through you know high school through university and into you know career and, and education were you at a point where you clearly understood what the, the lines and spreads were, totals were, all the derivatives were, and you're in a decent spot? Or has that evolved a fair bit for you? Have you spent much time digging into some of those things? And obviously outside of the mathematical component that I'm sure you're uh, pretty across from, from your accounting, sorry, finance days. But what about just betting markets in general and, and approaching the betting side? Um, I, I think the basics of betting I learned pretty early. I mean, I remember being a... 10 years old uh, on family vacations to Las Vegas and, you know, my dad leaving the, the, the sheet, you know, the, the sports book betting sheet in the hotel room. And he would let us pick, you know, pick each, pick a game each. I have three brothers. He'd say, all right, you guys each can pick a game for 20 bucks. And I understood what a spread was when I was 10 years old. Um, you know, this team has to win by this many points or, you know, if I, if you pick the, pick the bad team, hopefully they can keep it close. Right. So I understood that. I understood, you know, the money line, all that stuff. Um, I think over the last, you know, four or five years, I started to do more and more betting. Um, I started to understand the nuances better. Um, I started to understand, um, you know, just how important if over a large sample size, getting the best prices, I started to understand how correlation plays a factor in you know, certain, certain bet types and, you know, parlays and such. Um, I started to understand how different half point, you know, the value of a half point and how that differs by sport and by bet type. Um, and I really just started to think about, think about, um, outcomes and games as a uh, as just a point on the on a on a very you know wide distribution of potential outcomes. So um, I think that's where my my thinking has evolved as far as bet types. You know, I I do what a parlay was when I was a teenager. Um, did I know? I, I generally knew how it was priced. I know how it's priced now, obviously, you know, quite well. Um, and I know, I'd, you know, calculate expected returns probably better than I could when I was a teenager. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you, you pick up little things, you pick up some nuances, um, but I had a pretty least fundamental, you know, fundamental knowledge of, of, of the betting markets as a pretty young, pretty early age. So finance, career, uh, professional betting, building something like Cleet Street, plenty of different options for you. Tell us a little bit about the, the factors that go into those types of decisions, those types of paths that obviously, you know, many of them open to you. 
what what sort of philosophy do you have when it comes to those decisions? Well, you know, I spent about eight years in the finance space, um, starting from an analyst all the way up to the, a, a vice president running um, our complex derivatives business at my old firm. And, um, you know, along the way, got a chartered financial analyst designation. Um, and then at, at some point, I just, I, I, I was curious. I was curious to try something else. You know, I knew what the space was. I'd worked in it for eight years. And uh, I just wanted to try something, something new. So I, I went back to school. Um, honestly, going to business school is not part of my plan. I never really thought about it until maybe a year or two, maybe a year before I applied. Um, but I wanted to learn. I wanted to try something new. I thought I had the opportunity to get into a really good program. So I said, what the heck? And I, once, once I got into the program, I, it was my, it was my, it was my full intention to do something entrepreneurial coming out. I didn't know what it was exactly. Um, I, you know, I did, couldn't tell you that I was hope, you know, back in 2017 that I was going to go to business school, come out and become a professional sports better or run a sports betting, you know, media company. Um, that was never, you know, part of the, you know, part of the you know planned path. Um, it just kind of happened. But uh, I will tell you that um, being able my experience um, in the finance space and the credentials that I got over the years gave me the confidence to to do something um, you know more entrepreneurial. Now I don't think I would have had the confidence to do this you know when I was in my early 20s. You know, but I know you know I know now that I've you know built up a career in the finance space that if if I ever want to go back in that direction, I think there's going to be a door that opens. So, you know, I, I like to think, you know, your, your capital comprises of, you know, as an individual of your human capital and your financial capital. Well, I worked really hard to build up my human capital over the last, you know, 30 years of my life. And it, it allows me to be a little bit more, you know, risk seeking with my financial capital. So, um, so that's what I'm doing. So I'm, I, I'm, you know, betting quite a bit. Um, I've launched this company called Cleat Street, which is, um, you know, trying to just educate sports bettors and provide sports betting, you know, good, intelligent sports betting content. Um, and that's what I'm working on now. And, uh, that's, I, that's what I hope to continue working on at least for a while. I don't have any plans to do anything else for for, for now. So you probably had different options within the entrepreneurial sports betting space, let's say, uh, you know, building live odds models to try and sell to bookmakers or, or selling picks or whatever it might be. What do you think drove you to, to the Cleet Street path and what parts of that excite you the most? When I kind of grew through my finance career, um, you know, I started as an analyst and, and then you start you move on to manager and then you, you start managing a team um, and then you start getting even bigger. And at some point your responsibilities include, include business development and sales. And, you know, that, you know, that involves you going to try and sell something. So you got to sell a service. And 
to be honest, over for my set over my eight years, that was the worst part of the job for me. I I didn't like sales. I didn't like um, the feeling to have to sell something to someone else. I um, it's just it's just not um, something that I was really ever very comfortable with. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but I I just enjoyed the analytics stuff. So um, and I, and I enjoyed teaching. I as we spoke earlier. Um, you know, before we start recording, I was, you know, Jake, as I was telling you, I, you know, really enjoyed, you know, doing the stuff at Columbia, some of the guest lecturing I've done in the past and, and the finance um, space, I really enjoyed. And so I enjoyed, you know, something kind of in the education space, and I loved analytics. And so I wanted to build something that didn't rely on sales. Um, and I could just lean on the, the part of the job that I like. So I just said, let's build some analytical stuff. And the best way to to profit is to just bet this bet this stuff ourselves. Um, we, I, you know, I've, over the last you know five six years, we've been making some money, and it, that just kept growing. And uh, it's it, it kind of relieves me of that responsibility to try and sell anything uh, the way I'm doing things now. So that's that's honestly the whole reason that I chose this type of business. Do you think the Cleat Street path is is pretty clear and defined and is you know obvious, or is it something that is ever evolving and, and could morph into a few different things and then follow a few different paths? Um, it, it's hard to tell. I mean, you know, we got our we got our irons and a couple of fires right now. You know, we've obviously I I, I have a I have a, a partner and the two of us. You know, we've got our our betting models and. You know, that's providing us sufficient cash flow to to try and do some other things. Um, so betting's kind of our cash cow right now. We're, you know, I think there's an opportunity in the in the sports betting content space to to provide something that's a little bit more analytical, independent, um, and just a different uh, kind of a just a, a different voice than what's currently out there. So I've been doing a lot of writing and, and you know, filling up the website with some content, um, building out the newsletter, which I think people genuinely like. I mean, it could be wrong. Maybe maybe they click on and open it but don't like it. But um, and then and then we've been building an app because why not? To be honest, I think it was one of those things that I think this is we're just trying to build something that we that we would use. Um, so. You know, we're, we've 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 got a development team working on a you know a consumer app to help you you know track your bets and some other you know bells and whistles. Which I know there's a bunch of tools out there, um, but it's something that I think is um, important for people to do. And so it didn't it didn't co- you know cost us a ton of money to to get it done. So we figured let's build it um, as a tool for people to have. So yeah, we're kind of scattered. We've got all kinds of things you know several things going on. Um, and I don't know where they're, which one's gonna take off, if if any. But I know that the path we're on and the money we're able to make just in the betting markets allow us to try and play around with some things. So that's, and I'm I'm happy about that. So we'll we'll see where it takes us. I don't I don't really know. So the sports betting area is a beast. It can be many many things. When a family friend comes up to you and says, maybe not these days, but back when we're late, we're allowed to see other people. Let's say, Dan, you know, oh, you're you're involved in sports betting. That's cool. You know, I heard about DraftKings or whatever. 
what parts of sports betting entirely um, do you focus on or do you like to talk about or do you think about? Is it is it the content education space or are there other areas? You know, the, whether it's the bookmaking side, whether it's more on the sports betting side, what are some of the things that, that you like to to address and potentially things down the line that might interest you? Um, I think I think the education space is is big. So I I take pride in that. Both my parents are educators, um, so I take pride in 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 being able to help other people, you know, with in and share knowledge. I think I think there's too many paywalls up these days. Um, I'm probably going to offend some listeners uh, by saying that, but. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, yeah, there's some things that you want to keep to yourself, but I think there's a lot of information out there that could do a lot of people, a lot of good. That's not necessarily going to harm you. I mean, like, I don't think I'm harming, harming my ROI by te- teaching people proper bankroll management. Um, you know, that's not, that's not hurting me in any, in any way. So um, I'd you know, love to help people to, you know, learn that stuff. So education, the education part is, is pretty important to me. Um, and then just the, the, I guess the, um, the, the, the intersection of finance and, and sports is, is pretty neat and sports betting, um, in particular is pretty neat to me. You know, I like to, I, I love to see how, you know, some financial institutions are starting to get into the space and, you know, you could kind of think of, uh, a wager as a financial security of sorts. Um, I, all my kind of days pricing options and various securities um, make me think of the securitization of, of, you know, betting instruments. Um, I think there's a lot of cool things that people could do there. Um, I haven't really focused any of my efforts there, but I'm, I'm always very interested to see what, what people are thinking of, whether it be, you know, I don't know. There's a million things you could do with, with derivatives, um, and, and, and pricing and, and pricing games. So um, I think that's that's the other space that is interesting to me. It's just the kind of securitization and potential, you know, kind of how sports bets might mimic financial instruments um, in the future. I think there's some. I think people are doing some cool stuff in that space. Yeah, no doubt. So 25 year old listening to this, who hears your current path you're on and thinks that's me. I want to do that one to three years into job at a university, let's say, uh, avid sports fan, very interested in betting, gets your, gets, gets your newsletter and, and so on and so forth. Is it the right path for them? Have you had enough time in this space to, to figure out if it's something that many entrepreneurs should be looking at or, or do they follow your more traditional path, let's say, of a you know fair bit of time in finance or fair bit of time in, in other areas and, and then ply their trade on the side or go full-time whenever they feel ready to jump? Oof, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, it took me it took me a while to be confident enough to, to jump. Um, so it's it's different for each person. I, you know, I I understand that you know there's liquidity issues in the sports betting space. Like it's it's not something that just scales overnight. You can't just assume because you have a model that you know wins at a you know four percent ROI that you can raise a bunch of money and start betting, you know, $500,000 a game. Um, it just doesn't work like that. There's, there's 
I guess, structural components of the industry in place that prohibit you from doing such things. So um, those challenges are real. So I would just tell people to be mindful of those, that you're not going to just discover the, um, the holy grail of the uncorrelated asset class that, um, that you can scale up and, and sell to people. I think that's, I think we're, I, I just don't think the markets are that deep to handle that. Um, so that that's, it's tough to say. I think, I think I would, it, it comes down to an individual. I mean, I, if you get to the point where like you are, if you're, if it's an obsession for you in a, in a healthy way, a healthy, healthy obsession that you just are extremely passionate about, I would say, um, you know, give it a shot. But if you're, if, if it's, if you're just looking for a quick way to make money and you think it's, you know, uh, an easy way to make money, it's, 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 it's not that either. I mean, it's not, it's not super easy. It takes, it takes a lot of work. Um, there's some tedious parts of the job as well. So it's not just, you know, all fanfare and going to the Super Bowl and watching games. Um, <laughs> it's, there's, there's, there's definitely some work involved and it's, you're really grinding for that paycheck a little bit more than, um, than it might seem. So I, I don't know. It depends on the individual. So I, that's not a great answer, but it's all I can really say. So two final points for you. One, what's the easiest way for, for people to get the newsletter that we've been referring to a couple of times? And two, what can we expect to be the experience, the user experience on Cleet Street on the app, let's say in, in 12 or 18 months from now? What are your expectations for that? So the easiest way to get on the newsletter um, is just go to Cleet Street, um, the website. So we have a couple different URLs. CleetStreet.us is probably the easiest one. You can go there. Just pop in an email address. Everything's free. You know, we're not trying to charge people for any of that. So what you can expect on that newsletter is, is right now, especially during baseball season, it's a daily newsletter with um, some of the bets that we're placing. Um, we'll tell you what we're betting, what odds we're looking to bet it at, what percentage of our bankroll we're betting on it. Um, and then we, we sprinkle some other content in there, some educational pieces and, and, and stuff like that. Um, I guess the user experience 18 months from now. So we've been developing the Cleet Street app. Um, we've been testing it for the last couple of weeks. Hopefully we'll release it in the next month or so. On there right now on the kind of beta version is um, a way to just you know, track your own bets, um, follow the games. Um, you know, we'll have, we'll be posting our picks on there. Um, we we've had some conversations with some other analysts that you know once you know once we properly vet we may include some other uh, analyst picks so to so to say um, and then the ability to shop shop odds I mean get the best price is is fundamental to you know everything we're doing here so we'll have you know live odds feed from several different sports books around the world. Um, so that's all kind of on, on what's what's built thus far. You know, we're you know thinking about additional features, building out you know chat rooms to have a little bit more of a sense of community on there. A um, couple other you know features. You know, I'd love to be able to just be the one-stop destination where you can 
you know, you, you shop for the odds, you find the bet you want to place and just click right through to the sports book to make the bet. So um, that's probably down the road, uh, like, yeah, maybe, maybe 12 months. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think that's what people can expect generally. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of things we're working on. So I, and, and to be honest, we're just trying to create the best product out there that people want and need. So um, any feedback that we can get, we, absolutely are appreciative appreciative so we um it's it's all a trial and error, error process you know we get feedback on the newsletter all the time and if people say i like this they don't like that we're pretty pretty quick to change and, and just try to make improvements so it's it's um it's fun because um we don't know exactly where it's going to take us but uh, we're just trying to provide something that you know helps people and um they they enjoy so hopefully hopefully as long as we keep our you know, our ears open, um, we should hopefully be able to, you know, create something, a net positive for people. So that's awesome. what we're trying to do. Awesome. Awesome. Dan, it's been a pleasure chatting. It's great to hear your story and, and what's going on now and, and an insight into the future. So thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, look forward to checking back in later on and, and seeing where it's all at. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. And thanks for having me. I mean, I've been a big fan of the podcast over the years and uh, it's an honor for you to have me. So um, I thank you very much. Mm-hmm. 